That's where he wants us to live our life, from that place. And that's what I've come to talk to you about today, how, how God wants us to stay at his feet, to, to be in that place of communion with him. Um, we've been reading the book by Ray Johnston called Hope Quotient, and we're in chapter 9 this week talking about refusing to go it alone. Refusing to go it alone. He, one of the things that he and his church did when they started small groups is they, uh, they were studying that and, and realizing the power of community, which this chapter really focuses on. And, and the catchphrase that they had in their church for small groups was, join a group or die. And I just love that because it's like so true. Join a group or just die because you've got to have people around you. You've got to have people loving you. You've got to have people supporting you in life to make it. And that's how God made us. He shares a quote from Bowling Alone, and it says, As a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups, but you decide to join one, you've cut your risk of dying in the next year in half. So... That's pretty powerful. He goes on to also share a quote from Larry Crabb, and he says, the core battle in everyone's life is to relate well to God, to worship him, to enjoy him, to experience his presence, to hear his voice, to trust him in everything to always call him good and obey every command, even the hard ones, and to hope in him when he seems to disappear. And I know we've all had those moments when we feel like he was nowhere to be found. And that's where community comes in. That's the battle the community of God is called to enter into with one another. And that's the battle that we cannot win to hope in the Lord even when we can't see him. That's why we need community, because the community helps us and fights with us to wage that war, to keep hope alive, and to keep our trust in the Lord, irregardless of our circumstances. And so community is there so that you can be in their fight and they can be in yours. Because none of us were called to win this battle alone. And God didn't design us to win alone. We win only as we join others who need our help to win because we need their help to win too. So, I have been a youth pastor for my whole life, and it's been the joy of my life. I love teenagers. I love the opportunity that God has given me to speak into their lives. Um, a few of them are here this morning. Thank God for that. And um, one of the things that, probably the, most, the single most important thing that I've learned in my life about youth ministry, and I learned it actually when I was a youth in the youth group, is that relationships are the key to everything. And... At my last church, which was Bethlehem Baptist Church, 
my BBC folks, give a shout out to y'all. Got a few of them here today. And um, I grew up in that church, and then also I just recently was able to finish uh, serving there six and a half years as their youth pastor. What a joy it is to be able to go home and, and give back to the community that made you, and they really did make me. Um, one of my papas is here, Gerald. Love him. Yeah. Shouts out to Gerald. And then my mom is here as well, and my stepdad, Carol and Mike. So thank you all for being here. And all the other brothers and sisters that are here, thank you. I do need uh, the flower that my best friend bought me today. I need that to put it on display, if you don't mind. Help me out, Dan. Thanks. I don't want anything squeaking. So um, back to relationships. When I was in the youth group, I really remember mostly the relationships. I don't really remember a whole lot of what my pastor, my youth pastor taught me. I, I mean, I know he taught me a lot of amazing things that are still in me. They're in my DNA, but, but I don't remember the lessons. I don't remember, you know, what scriptures we studied. I don't remember a whole lot of what he said. But what I remember is that he loved me. The adults that were a part of the ministry loved me. What I remember is that I had friends in the youth group that helped me have a place to uh, find community, to have a place to belong. And actually, some of them are here today, which is also crazy, that we were in youth group together. Wow. Yeah. And, and they, um, with their love, they were the ones that, that brought me through my teen years, which were really hard for me. Um, I uh, am a survivor of incest, so I had a lot of uh, barriers and battles to overcome in life because of that. And it was my family at Bethlehem and the mentors and the adults there and, and the youth there that, that carried me through. And I wouldn't have made it without them. And so community is so important. But it's easy to forget that because life happens and it gets hard and you get scared and you're like, well, I can't trust people anymore because people hurt me. I can't lean on people anymore because when I did, this one let me down or that one wasn't trustworthy like I thought they were supposed to be. And so we try to, to go through life alone. And, and, and at my last church, um, I had a group of students that wanted to go a little bit deeper. We called them Salt Life. And it was a beautiful group of students that, that came together, and I was able to disciple them and walk with them in community and discipleship. And it was beautiful while it lasted. Um, and it was beautiful because they came together and their community fueled their love for Christ. And when they would come into the worship service, the atmosphere would shift because their hearts for worship were so pure. When, when they prayed, the fire of God was on them because they encountered God and, and expressed that through their worship and through their prayer. And it was so beautiful. But like I said, it only lasted for a while because my eyes got off of the fact that community was the thing that fueled what we were doing instead of um, the Bible and prayer and worship. Now, not to discount those things. They're extremely important. But when I overemphasized 
You need to have your secret time with the Lord. You need to be doing this and that so that when you come in, we're ready to dive into the presence. And inadvertently, because I overemphasized, I thought, I thought that their personal devotion to God was came and got its fuel from their personal time with the Lord. But I had it backwards because it was like I learned when I was in youth group. It was the community and coming together as a community for worship, coming together as a community to pray, coming together as a community around the word. That was what fueled their devotion in the secret place. And because I got it backwards in my mind, I, I choked it out, not wanting to, desperately desiring not to make that mistake, but I did. And God is good. Some of them are here today still pursuing God, still going after the heart of God. Even when we mess up as leaders, right? Thank God he is the supreme leader, right? Right. So I'm here today to talk to you about the power of community and how community has what you need to restore your hope and to get you where God wants you to be. Hope is sustained in community. So I want you to make a commitment today to just refuse to go it alone because things just go better when we do it together. When I've considered the, the times that, that God used community to rescue me, it's been more than I can count. You today rescue me. The fact that I'm up here today is rescuing me. Um, I'm just overwhelmed by the opportunity that I have to be before you this morning. And as I considered that, the story from Song of Solomon was what came to my heart. And so I want to share that scripture with you this morning. So if you'll read with me on the screen. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Don't look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. So tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. I've compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make your ornaments of gold with studs of silver, 
while the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. Alas, our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. Thank you for journeying with me through that long passage. There are basically three main ways that scholars kind of interpret Song of Solomon. Uh, so I'll just will share with those with you briefly. The first is um, what the first basic school of thought is the natural interpretation. And it views the Song of Songs as God's endorsement of our sexuality, especially in the, as it relates to marriage. The second is the Jewish historical interpretation, and it views Song of Songs as a powerful description of God as the bridegroom king and Israel as the chosen and beloved one of God. And the third is the allegorical interpretation, and it's more of a figurative and metaphorical approach that invites you to see the symbols as a higher reality with a glory tucked inside them that allows you to uncover the heart of Jesus for you in ways that, that maybe you've never seen before. And that's the lens that we're going to use today to view this scripture. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to see with a deeper clarity the love and the healing that Jesus has for you. And as, as we read and dive into this book today, I'm going to invite you to look for your story hidden in this story. You know, last week Matt invited us to consider our song. Well, today I, I think Jesus wants to add himself and make your song a duet, but with, uh, accompanied by the choir of one church, right? Um, so step with me into the Holy of Holies. We're already there. Where the presence of God dwells. And as I said earlier, Israel encamped around the presence, so let's go camping today. Yeah? Yeah. I want to share with you this scripture from the Passion Translation as well. It's a more colorful writing, more poetic writing of the verses that really spoke to me as I studied this and as I considered what God was saying and what he wanted to say to us today. 
And so I'm going to break a little bit of it down for you, if that's all right. So this most amazing song of all by King Solomon. And the Shulamite starts us off. And that's the woman. And there's two characters in the story. It's Solomon, which is the king, the shepherd king, the bridegroom. And for us today, we're going to consider that the king is Jesus. And then the Shulamite is the, the maiden, the uh, girl in the story that Jesus comes upon, and, and he rewrites her story. And that's us, the bride of Christ. And so today, um, you know, men, I'm going to have to ask you to consider that you are the bride of Christ. There's many times as women we get to be the sons of men, so today you get to be the bride of Christ. So you know it's, uh, it's fair game, right? It's fair game. So the Shulamite starts off and she says, uh, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. And, and in this translation it says, smother me with kisses, your spirit kiss divine. And, and that's, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit different than we normally think about in our relationship with God. But, but if you think about it in this way, when God breathed life into Adam, um, there was this, this mouth-to-mouth connection, this spirit kiss that happened where the, the breath of God, the life of God came into Adam. Well, that's the same kind of thing that we're looking at here. How, how God breathed life into her for the first time. And, and it was everything that she ever needed or desired. And she says, so, she says, smother me with your kisses. The first time that you encounter Christ and his love, you're like, yes, give me more. Right? And the, and the, and the job and, the, and the, the work of our faith as we come together in community is to keep our hearts alive to that desire. And so she says, so kind are your caresses. She's not been treated very kindly most of her life. She says, I drink them in like the sweetest wine. In, in the New King James, it says, your love is better than wine. Yes, I want to know that kind of love. I want Jesus to love me in that way, that, that I don't need other things to, to numb my pain. I just need Jesus to come in and take care of all of it and then give me what I need to feel like his love is better than mine. Next she says, your presence releases a fragrance that is so pleasing. And that's what we just encountered when we were in worship. When we're like, I'm going to sit at your feet forever worshiping you. It's because we encountered that fragrance that is so pleasing. And, and we want that. God wants that to be poured out on us over and over again. And so she says, over and over, pour that out. For your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the brides to be adore you. She's talking about the daughters of Jerusalem, the maidens of Jerusalem, which now she is a part of. Before she was on the outside, but now she's included in the maidens of Jerusalem, in the daughters of Jerusalem. She's like, no wonder they adore you. Yes, I see, I see. Yeah. So she says, draw me away in the New King James. 
Draw me away. Draw me away from everything that I thought my life was. Draw me away into that place where you dwell, where your fragrance is overwhelming and you pour out your love. Draw me into your heart and lead me out. And the maidens together say, yes, yes, do that, and let's run together after the one that loves us. Let's run together after the one. And then the the daughters of Jerusalem say, we will remember your love as we laugh and rejoice in you. We just don't talk like that enough about God. As we laugh and rejoice in you, yes, let's do that. Let's laugh because God is so good. Let's rejoice. Let's dance. Let's sing because he is so good. He is so good. And let's celebrate every gift of love that he gives us because it is better than wine. And if you don't know that this morning, then my prayer for you is that that God rewrites your story like he did the Shulamite story so that you can encounter him in a way where you experience his spirit kiss, where you experience his love like flowing oil. Next, the the Shulamite says, Jerusalem maidens, in the twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy, so in need. She's kind of going back to what her identity was before. You know we do that. God rescues us, he saves us, but then we kind of fall back into that old identity that says, oh, I'm not worthy. God, I'm so dirty. I've messed up so many times. How can you love me? How can you, how can you still look at me? I know what I've done. I know what I look like. I know how I'm covered in sin. I know where I've fallen. And she's remembering. And she's like, I'm so in need. And Jesus answers right. The king answers right immediately. He says, yes, but you're so lovely. Because catch it, catch it, catch it. She says, in the New King James, she says, I'm dark, but lovely. I'm dark, but lovely. She's getting the message that he's wanting her to see, that that it doesn't matter what it looks like to other people. All that matters is what he sees when he looks at her. And he says, you are so lovely. But she said, but I feel feel so dark. I feel so dry, like, like the desert tents of the wandering nomads. You can imagine desert tents are dirty. They've got holes in them. They, you know, they stink. <laughs> That's how she's feeling. Sometimes I can relate to that. Sometimes I, can, I know what that feels like, and I need the presence of God to come in and remind me what he sees. And the king says again, no, 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 that's not. No, no, that's not. You are so lovely. You're like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the Holy of Holies. And I had to laugh right here because I was like, she was like, oh, I feel like this big tent that's dirty and nasty. And he's like, oh, no, 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 you're my tent. You, you surround the presence of God. You know, that, that thing that, that husbands sometimes have to do, right? <laughs> they have to say, oh, honey, I don't feel good today. I, I feel this, I feel that. And like, oh, no, honey, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're lovely. Yeah, yeah, Jesus did that. So she said, again, she's like, but, but, but don't stare at me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me because 
of the dark and sinful ways. She says, my brothers, they were angry with me. They quarreled with me. They, they appointed me guardian over the ministry vineyards, and, and, I, and, and I've not yet tended to my own vineyard. She said, I had to, my family rejected me. They sent me out into the fields. I had to work and do the work that nobody else wanted to do. I had to do it alone. I was busy. I had no time to take care of myself. I know what I look like. I am a hot mess. Yeah? And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I feel rejected. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel betrayed. My brothers who were supposed to look out for me, instead they just kicked me to the curb and treated me like trash. You know, some of us have family that, that, that should have been there for us, that it was their job to look out for us. But, but stuff happened and brokenness happened and, and, and they weren't able to do that. They weren't able to be the, the protector. They weren't able to be the one that was trustworthy. They weren't able to be the one that was there for us when we needed them. You know, and that's, that's part of my story. You know, my father, I love my father. I've forgiven my father. But, but he betrayed me. He hurt me. He abused me. And I had to walk through all of that. And in the midst of that, God met me like he met the Shunammite. He met me and he, he rewrote my story just the same way he's rewriting her story. And, and I spent a lot of time feeling rejected. I spent a lot of time feeling abandoned, feeling betrayed. And, but, but God rewrote my story. So he says, you are so lovely. You're like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. So after she says, but I know what I look like. But then she remembers, won't you tell me, lover of my soul? Won't you tell me, where do you feed your flock? Where do you lead your beloved ones. You see, when she first encountered the king, she, she only knew who she was by the rejection that, and the mistreatment and the loneliness that she had felt before. But when she encountered the king, she began to see that, that her identity was, was something very different. So where do you feed your flock? Where do they rest at noon? For I wish to be in that place, to go among the flocks of your under-shepherds. It is you I long for, with no veil between us. The New King James says, Why should I be one who veils herself? That is a holy revelation. Because shame and guilt and betrayal and rejection, depression, anxiety will cause you to hide will cause you to veil yourself and say, I don't belong here. Other people will tell you, you don't belong here. Other people will agree with that message from the pit of hell. And they'll say, you don't belong here. What do you, what, who are you? What are you doing? But then she has, again, she, she's getting this revelation from the Lord. Why do I have to be one who veils myself? I, the king said I was something else. And he's like, he's immediately, he's right on the scene, and he says, listen, my radiant one. I love the language of this. Listen, my radiant one. Don't you like to be called a radiant one? Yes, yes. 
If you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. Come with your burdens and cares. New King James says, feed your little goats. He says, yes, you have a place with me. Yes, I love you. Yes, come close. Because I have everything you need. I have everything you need. And yes, come close because I want people to know you belong to me. You have an identity in me. You have a place next to me. Not far away, right here. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. This is the beloved speaking to her. She says, he says, you are so thrilling to me. To gaze upon you is like looking at one of Pharaoh's finest horses, a strong, regal steed pulling his royal chariot. Now, I had to stop right there because I'm like, I'm not sure I like the idea of being compared to a horse. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to need a little bit of revelation on uh, what this is talking about because I'm not sure I like that part. And, uh, but she knew. And, and, and what he revealed to me was that this was a holy revelation that, that he was giving her his view that in her weakness, he would become her strength. And not just a strength to get by. Like not just a strength to get by, but, but strength that gives her favor. Strength that gives her identity. Strength that... that puts her in a place where royalty dwells and, and strength that rewrites her history, her identity, her value, her purpose. And so it, it's a statement of her position and her responsibility and her purpose and identity in Christ. He says, your tender cheeks are aglow. Your earrings and gem-laden necklaces set them ablaze. Her beauty captivates him. And when I think about that, I'm like, does my beauty captivate you, God? Can that really be true? Does my beauty, okay, men, come with me, come on. Does, does my beauty, does my strength captivate you? Does my courage, my humility my dependence on you, does that captivate you? We will enhance your beauty encircling you with our golden reins of love, and you will be marked by our redeeming grace. Again, her community is surrounding her, and they're teaching her. The daughters of Jerusalem are teaching her. This is how you make yourself presentable to the king. This is how you enter into his presence. This is how you get his attention. And they're teaching her. The community is drawing her into his presence. And she says, as the king surrounded me, the sweet fragrance of my praise perfume awakened the night. Whoa. A sachet of myrrh is my lover, like a tied-up bundle of myrrh resting over my heart. He's like a bouquet of henna blossoms, henna plucked near the vines at the fountain of the Lamb. I will hold him and never let him part. 
Again, he's praising her. She turns around and praises him. He praises her. She praises him. There's this dance that is happening as he's rewriting her story. When your history and your identity and your value and your purpose get rewritten, you will start praising the Lord and awaken the night. I mean, you, you don't have any choice because you know where he brought you from. Yeah, so the sachet of myrrh is, is a, um, a, myrrh is one of the embalming spices that's used. And so it's, it's pointing to the death and burial of Jesus. And then the henna blossoms are pointing to the power of the resurrection, that is the atonement and the redeeming grace that comes as Christ is resurrected and, and pays the full price and restores us back into relationship with God where we can go into the Holy of Holies and commune with God. So she gets through telling him how amazing he is. He tells her, look at you, my dearest darling. You're so lovely. You're so lovely. Your beauty itself to me and your passion, your eyes are like gentle doves. And she, she returns, my beloved, my beloved one, both handsome and winsome, you're pleasing beyond words. Our resting place is anointed and flourishing like a, a green forest meadow bathed in light. Rafters of cedar branches are over our heads and balconies with pleasant smelling pines. She's getting it. She's getting it that he loves her, that he is rewriting her story. Before she was dark and rejected, she was worn out because of her sin, mistreated, betrayed, left alone. But now she's loved by the king. She's, she's defined by his love. She, she, he calls her strong, a, a leader, responsible, adorning the holy place. And his shadow of love now defines her. In chapter 2, she starts with, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love, growing in the valley. His love is now overshadowing her, and because of that, it defines her. You are my darling companion. He says, you stand out from all the rest. For though the curse of sin surrounds you, still you remain as a pure as a lily, even more than all others. And she says, my beloved is to me the most fragrant apple tree. He stands above the sons of men, sitting under his gray shadow. I blossom in his shade. And isn't that what happens when we get into the presence of God and he rewrites our story? We begin to become everything that he designed us to be from the foundation of the earth. We get a true picture of who we are and what our purpose is and what our identity is, that we are loved and we are chosen. I blossom in his shade enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit, resting with the light where his glory never fades. It's the sweet fruit of relationship. Suddenly he transported me into his house of wine. He looked upon me with his unrelenting divine love. This is where it says his banner over me was love. His banner over you is love. 
She goes on, revive me with your goblet of wine. Refresh me again with your sweet promises. Help me and hold me, for I am lovesick. I know this is really emotional, but I don't know how you can get past emotion when you enter into relationship with the one who created you, the one who breathed life into you. And I long for you and I long for myself to know what does this mean, lovesick? What does that mean? I dare you to ask him because he wants to show you. He wants to tell you. He wants to revelate you. It's that Ephesians 3 kind of love. Jesus, I'm longing for more. Yet how could I take more? It's so overwhelming. You want more, but it's overpowering. And then she, the last verse is, His left hand cradles my head, while his right hand holds me close and I am at rest in his love. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible because I can't tell you how many times that I've needed that embrace from God. And I just picture it in my head that, you know, his right hand holds me close and, 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 and his left hand cradles my head. And I just picture that. And I just imagine myself laying back against his chest and being embraced by him. And, and the love and the healing that takes place when I allow myself to kind of go into that place of intimacy with the Lord. I've shared with you a little bit of, of some of my story and some of the rejection that I've felt in my life. Um, and it was during one of these times when I was really going through something extremely difficult with um, one of my spiritual mothers. And situations, circumstances had happened where we were going to kind of have to break our relationship and I was just dead over that just just done and just overwhelmed with grief and sadness and a couple of my sisters were there with me we were trying to talk it out see if there was a way to repair whatever had happened and there just wasn't going to be a way and so um, my, my spiritual mom left and my sisters were there with me and we were praying I was crying I'm like you know what do I do now and Oh, God, and, and I had one of the most significant encounters with the Lord that I've ever had in my life. As, as I lay there, crumbled in the arms of my friends, just weeping and knowing what I was losing, the Lord, He caught me up. the very beginning places of where I felt rejection for the first time. And it was when, it's when I was born. Um, uh, my mom, uh, who 
is beautiful and amazing and I love her with all my heart. Um, she was a young mom, you know, getting a life. And she began to have labor pains and she went to the hospital. That's what you do, right? Um, for those of you who are pregnant, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but she was there like two months early and, and I was coming. Like, I was coming so much, the nurses were, like, pushing me back in. That's how serious it was. And it was 1969, so, you know, go figure. I, I don't know why they would do that. Don't worry about calculating my age because I get my good looks from my mom, so it's all good. Um, but I arrived, and I was three pounds and two ounces. And I was in the NICU for six weeks, and... And back then, they didn't know you needed to touch and hold and all that stuff. And so my mom could just look at me. My dad could just look at me from a distance. The nurses fed me. The nurses did what needed to be done. And so there's this abandonment, this rejection that was out of everybody's hands that, that, that was the beginning of my life. So when I came from the ho home from the hospital, it's understandable that my parents didn't really feel what you normally feel when you come home with your baby. It took time to develop those bonds because that time frame of me being lucky without them. And so that led to other things. And so um, my mom told me the story one time that um, and I knew this because my dad worked third shift all my life. My mom, when I was, and she worked first shift most of my life. And so um, my mom would take care of me at night. My dad would take care of me once, my mom. Once he got home, my mom went to work. But you can imagine he was sleeping while I was sleeping and all that. And so my mom would make all my bottles. She'd put them in my bed. And, um, and then if I cried enough, my dad would wake up to, you know, pop a bottle up and make sure I got something to eat and for whatever reason like knowing that like really broke me and so back to me being crumbled up on the couch with my friends in another place of rejection um, God caught me up he said let me, let me take you back to where this began and, and he took me back to my parents' bedroom where my crib was. And, and I saw him there. Jesus was there in the room. And, and he was holding me. He was rocking me. He was feeding me. He was caring for me. He was in that place, like, doing what my parents couldn't do. And he was rewriting my story. commentator to the story and he's like he's like you, you, you think that it was this way but, but I'm just here I just wanted to give you a glimpse of how it really was I give you a glimpse of what it was really like he said I was there I never left you alone I always took care of you I held you and I kept you every moment it was it was it was so crazy 
back. And he, and he put me in that. And, uh, and it must have been something like this. I'm, I can't imagine exactly what it was like, but I must have felt something like this. That's it. And so it, it must have it must have been something like that. But he, he put me in this baby carrier and I was like face to face with him and I was like, that's crazy. And I'm just overwhelmed and I'm weeping and healing is happening as I'm as I'm watching my story and, and what it was really like. And and so he, he puts me in his backpack and he says, he says, are you ready? And I'm like, well, I'm a little, so I can't really answer. But, you know, my dead self is like, yeah, okay. And then we, we go off. And then in an instant, we're back. And I know that, like, he took me with him while he went out to attend to other people. And he said, I never left you. Even when I had to go somewhere, I just loaded you up. You went with me. It was all preparation, so it's all good. You were with me. I never left you alone. And and it, it flashes, and and um, I see him. Um, we come back, and I'm not in the baby carrier anymore, and it looks a little bit like this. And he's swinging me around, and I'm like, what? Like... I'm like, I love this story. I've been longing for this to be my story so much. And and and, and I'm and he's swinging me and I'm laughing and we're giggling and we're playing in circles and, and he's you know reading to me and, and he's rewriting my story and and all the rejection that I thought was defining me begins to break off and and I, I come to learn that that was never my identity that was never supposed to define me it was never what I was supposed to look to to find who I was and this morning as we look at the Shulamite as we look at my story I wonder you know if if you have let rejection define you I wonder if you've let your abandonment and your story, the, the hard parts of your story define you. And, and I want to invite you into a place this morning where, where you begin to let God rewrite your story like he rewrote mine, like he rewrote the Shulamite story. It looked like one thing, but, but God has his version. And he wants you to see what his version looks like. So this morning, as, as we stand and, and sing, I want, I want to invite you to come. If you if you need God to rewrite your story this morning, then come and pray with one of our pastors and, and let God begin to rewrite your story as you just come to him and let him know what you need. Because he loves you. He loves you, and you are his, and he is yours. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.